you need to understand as a leader that there are opportunities and the employee every day selects to work for you. Hello and welcome to The Talent Blueprint, your guide to building a talent-first company. Today's episode features an interview with Asif Jacobi, VP of Global HR at Amdocs. The Talent Blueprint is brought to you by Beamery. Beamery's talent lifecycle management platform makes it possible for companies to deliver more human talent experiences and unlock the skills and potential of their global workforce using industry-leading AI. Hello, and welcome to this week's installment of the Talent Blueprint. I'm your host, Sultan Seidov, and today I am super excited to welcome Asef Jacobi, who's the VP of Global HR at Amdocs. Asaf, thank you so much for joining us. Really uh, excited to get into it. Thank you, Sultan, for inviting me. So to, uh, to kick things off, uh, let's get into our first segment, The Blueprint. It's a blueprint. This doodle is called a blueprint. A blueprint. Just grew up a little blueprint. And it's right here in this here blueprint. Asaf, tell me a bit about your role at Amdocs and the kind of work that you've been doing there. So I'm uh, leading Amdocs uh, talent strategy for the ones who doesn't know Amdocs. It's a technology company with uh, 30,000 employees worldwide. We are spread across 85 countries and we're basically supporting all the leading uh, telecom provider with their mission critical uh, systems uh, with our products and our solution. My unit objective is to make sure that Amdocs has the right talent in the right place at the right time. It sounds uh, simple. So we basically what we do, we plan the future talent of the company. My team is a combination of strategic workforce planner, market and people intelligence, a recruitment marketing function, of course, the global talent acquisition. So if I need to summarize, I plan, I attract and I hire for Amdocs. Sounds so simple when you uh, when you put it like that. It's refreshing to hear how strategic the HR and talent function is at Amdocs. The principle of not simply filling roles and thinking about experience alone, but driving ultimately business outcomes through planning on capabilities and, as you put it, people intelligence, strategic workforce planning, is something many businesses are trying to start building up and moving towards, particularly in the uncertainty that's ahead of us and in the kinds of turbulent environments that many businesses have been navigating over the last couple of years. How did this get started as a function and what was the biggest opportunity you saw when you first joined in either standing up more strategic processes or building on some of that mindset that, that was already in place when you joined? Well, you are correct, Sultan. HR started from the basic HR is about compliance, then running the basic process. And to get to the level where HR is really partnering with the business and bringing value to the business, this is a path you need to go through with many phases. When I started the role, the concept was to link between planning. We had the workforce planning. We had the a system and spreadsheets with uh, with numbers and the uh, people because uh, at some point you need to link between the two uh, a number and FTEs should have eventually names and faces and skills and profiles so the idea in building a strategic function is to have this linkage from where the business want to go what product 
what services, what customer, what are the personas that derived from it, and then how we attract those and bring them and hire them. So this value chain, I think, in, as you said, in the current climate, is critical for a company success. So we had the fragmented teams. We had the planners, we had the people analytics, we had market intelligence, we had recruiters, and to combine all of those to one process, uh, this was uh, my task. And, and we are in the middle of the, the transformation, but I believe we already see the value of it. Sounds like a very rewarding journey to be able to start bringing those fo folks under one roof and operating in a center-end mindset. What, what has been the most rewarding part of your role in that journey so far? Yeah, so as I said, when I took over the role, uh, the objective was uh, to link between the planning and the, the talent acquisition. But then uh, the pandemic started and um, the great reshuffle happened. So everything was on accelerated mode. So uh, in general, the understanding that you cannot wait for position to be opened and then start to source and start uh, to recruit the lead time to that is uh, way too long for what the business really wanted. So the basic idea is if you can have sensors in the business, if you can understand the talent market upfront, if you can strategically source the talents that you will need, even before you have the real demand, the real position, and you have the predefined uh, talent pool, then the work of uh, sourcing and, and recruit, uh, recruitment uh, is not easier but at least you start with something and the lead time is much shorter. So I think being able to accelerate this linkage is extremely rewarding when you see the outcome. The second thing is, uh, I think what is most rewarding is that throughout this process, we are not looking only at the outside. We are looking inside. We are giving many opportunities for employees to grow in this climate. So sourcing is not only out, it's only, is also in. So the ability to pull out the potential from our talents, give them opportunities with the, uh, within the company, plus really uh, providing and taking care of thousands of new employees, I think this is extremely rewarding for me. And you know what, even this opportunity to sit here, to share this experience with you, for me, this is my, my biggest reward, uh, to be honest. So I think this takes us nicely into our next segment, the journey. A real journey. Journey. So how have you measured success and has that evolved over time as you've been through this journey of bringing fragmented teams together and starting to create a more mature unified function? So my, my current goal is a uh, sound simple, right? Is making sure that Amdoc has the right talent at the right time at the right place uh, to execute its uh, business. Out of uh, that, many uh, success measures are derived. When we started, there were the basic uh, measurement, time to hire, cost of hire. But over time, when we improved the planning and we embedded the more planning, so it was more about the planning, how accurate my predictions, how uh, we are uh, improving strategic pillars like uh, the diversity, um, the level of uh, graduates in, uh, in the company. Um, it also, of course, uh, elements of uh, mobility. We discuss mobility. So how we make sure that uh, uh, we are giving opportunity first internally and we are improving the mobility. 
what we see when we grow maturity in our evolution is that the question is changing. It's not how many we hire, but who we hire. Do, are we hiring the right talents with the right quality? And if you ask me what is the next level is uh, the productivity question. I know it's uh, very difficult to answer, but if we can analyze and understand and, and measure time to productivity, the level of productivity, then our decision will be derived more about the, this uh, data point rather than uh, numbers, time, and cost. So I think that we are moving from uh, to more qualitative measurement uh, that really are more strategic than aligned with the company strategy. The productivity question is interesting on a number of fronts, one of which is how do you measure productivity, but also are there things that you can use as signals or proxies for it if there's not a, a formal program? One thing that we've seen as a proxy is, can we look at how engaged people are from the data that's being generated in internal systems and tools as an example of a proxy of whether the, 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 those people are likely to be effective? Have you started looking at certain benchmarks or measures or proxies as, as, as you've been digging into that sort of sense of time to productivity and quality of hires and so on? So we are, we are using benchmarks, we are using uh, Gartner models for uh, a productivity analysis, but I, I, I believe that it's uh, uh, the way that you are looking at uh, it, Sultan. So if we will have uh, our uh, organizational network analysis or other sensing of how involved this person in the company, what kind of uh, uh, task is taking, what story uh, is handling from uh, the JIRA or other tools, then we can uh, better quantify the ability of a person to be involved and contribute uh, uh, in, in the company. As I said, we, we are not there yet, but if you ask me where we should go, it's to uh, those directions that we are exploring, and I hope that in the upcoming uh, few months we'll have breakthrough also in this domain, and I will be happy to share it again with you. It's uh, really exciting to hear that you're already grappling at that layer of maturity. It's, a, as I said earlier, I think a path that many businesses are going on but are in earlier stages. I imagine that you will have run into certain frictions along the way, even in the journey to date. Unifying teams is harder than it sounds when you, when you simply sort of frame teams coming together. What have been some of the biggest friction points that you've run into in this journey of bringing about this level of cultural change? I think if I need to point out few friction points. First is the constant search for the ready-made talent. So leader, talent leaders, due to the a great reshuffle, have a junior workforce, right? People moved in and out, and they have many new joiners to their team. So they are reluctant to continue and hire people that are not the ready-made talent. But we all know that there is scarcity in the ready-made talent. Technologies are rapidly changing, and, uh, and the number of experts in the new technologies that has high demand is low. So to change the mindset that maybe you need to hire by potential, maybe you need to hire and upskill internally and not look always for the ready-made, this is a, a challenge. So if you want really to support the business, there are other solutions than only search for the perfect person that will come the time you want, you need to embed it in your planning. 
Now, when we discuss the quality of fire and, and productivity, this is a bit contradicting because if I'm not bringing ready-made, so it looks like it takes me more time for someone to be productive. So how you resolve it? This is the discussion. This is the change that we are having a lot in our company. Another thing that uh, is very important in transformation is the understanding that uh, today leader cannot decide for his employee only because he's org hierarchy. It's not enough. So yes, he's under you in the org hierarchy, but you cannot uh, decide on his uh, opportunity, career map. You need to understand as a leader that there are opportunities and the employee every day selects to work for you. And I think that uh, this mindset that uh, you need to, uh, to give the opportunity uh, for employees to explore, to move, to rotate, basically to democratize the opportunities for him to achieve his, his career uh, goal is at your benefit and the company benefit. Otherwise, basically, we are growing talents for other company because if we will not let them grow within our company, they will grow outside. And, and here I must uh, share with you a story from, uh, you know, that came from our, one of our people analytics project. When we discussed about the uh, internal mobility and internal fulfillment, and we have KPI of how many positions we fulfill internally and we monitor it. But we need also to look at the one that did not been accepted to the position. What happened with them? We are always looking at the positive side of the process. What but what happened for the one that are frustrated for not accepting the position they applied for? And we found out that uh, uh, the attrition, the turnover rate there is triple, four times bigger than the average of the company. So we acknowledge that if someone wants to move, share this desire, and we are not giving the opportunity, it moves out. So um, how you open, how you change the mindset by using data, telling them, listen, if you will not give the opportunity, others will, this is a major uh, change. So I, as you said, there are elements of change, how to uh, not to look for the perfect fit, how, how to help your employee grow, be a talent exporter, how it contributes to the greater good. This is the cultural change that comes with the transformation and with the proper planning that we are doing. Part of what you're touching on is the catch-22 that folks find themselves in in creating confidence in how this works end to end because in order to give confidence for people that they can start hiring full potential you need to create confidence that that opportunity to grow that potential once they're hired is tracked which touches on the data and system and process challenges that make that confidence not always easy to acquire and similarly when you think about the employee points you're touching on of creating roles for internal opportunities I love the, the example you um, shared of educating people with data uh, to embrace the fact that it's a better, it's a lesser of two evils if you consider the risk to the business, in some cases, is outweighed by the benefits across the, the whole business by giving employees that opportunity to grow and to have internal roles and ultimately to stay within the company. What is the, the thing that lies next in the same evolution that you've touched on as existing friction points that haven't been solved? What are some of the, the the kind of core gaps in stitching together this mindset of embracing employee experience, thinking ahead that are still uh, works in progress and and how are you addressing those? 
So I believe that uh, we, we all acknowledge that the days of uh, post and pray are over, right? We, we cannot uh, just post a position and someone uh, will apply. And we also uh, understood that uh, the recruitment process is not a traditional one, that you approve the position, you post it, you go through the higher post and someone signs a contract and that's it. We understand that recruitment starts much earlier before even you have a position and ends a few months after the person is in the, the company and already an employee. Because we have many cases, you know, that even after you, you sign the, the contract and you have the opportunity, everyone is being approached all the time with other appealing opportunities. So how you basically build a relationship with the, the candidate prior to even having the position, how you be, uh, develop the talent pool, how you turn the whole organization to be a recruiting and a organization, a talent magnet organization. Um, how you make uh, leaders uh, being an uh, ambassador uh, for you. Um, because you cannot outsource a recruitment to talent acquisition. Everyone should be involved. Ta- recruiter cannot attract and manage talent pool of a Kubernetes expert. You need a Kubernetes expert to, to be there and, and, and attract uh, the talent. So I believe that the journey starts before and, and uh, the uh, manager, the hiring manager, everyone needs to be involved to continue and build a relationship throughout the process until he joins uh, the company and, and stays in the company. And, and this ties up to uh, the employer brand and, uh, and the EVP. If you say something to a candidate throughout his uh, candidacy period and application, and then he comes to the company and has completely different experience uh, then and the EVP, the value proposition is not authentic, he will leave you. So you cannot just relax after he signed the contract. I, I love the way you described recruitment being everybody's responsibility and not something that can be outsourced. In, a, in the same vein, the types of data and information that you can use in recruiting shouldn't just be siloed to within recruiting. The example you gave of involving hiring managers, employees, and uh, and Kubernetes experts and being in the process, you can also learn from, well, what made that Kubernetes expert an expert and how do we start looking for talent that's similar to our high performers, similar based on skills and more inclusive parameters than looking at where they went to school or similar backgrounds and so on. This uh, question around data and the role of data and recruitment and the opportunity now to finally start bringing different stakeholders together with data, as you put it, at the core, uh, I know is also a personal uh, passion area of yours. I know that you've written some articles around the, uh, the the approaches that are more data-driven, such as in sports analytics, um, being relevant to the considerations in uh, the world of talent and employee experiences today. Um, t- can you tell us a little bit more about that? So I'm, a, I'm an addicted uh, sport fan. All my childhood, I played uh, soccer, and I also like uh, very much reading and writing. So this combination of uh, basically writing about sport and uh, and uh, building analogies between sport and business and technology, uh, it's something that uh, I found uh, lately very, very interesting and satisfying. As you said, uh, I'm part of the Moneyball uh, movement. I really believe that using data, analytics, and technology can do magic uh, for uh, organization performance. 
so I'm true believer in in data and embedding them in uh, uh, human uh, practices. So I don't know, uh, I'm sure you know uh, Yanis Antetokounmpo, a great uh, a basketball player who is called, he has a nickname, right? He is called uh, the Greek Freak. Now, if someone sends you a CV and you see Yanis, Greek Freak, uh, there are researchers that names, nicknames, impact your judgment and bias. So you are not looking at the skills, you are not looking at the capabilities, you are not saying that he's MVP, you are already biased by the name. So there are uh, tools now uh, in the market. I know that uh, Bimary itself is dealing a lot with this uh, uh, item, is how to anonymize details that might cause bias. Uh, there are tools that are working on our uh, job uh, requisition, job posting, and changing verbs that might uh, sound masculine to to a female or change it, uh, change the language. So it will be uh, relevant for all. We, we, are, we are not familiar with this unconscious bias, but it's there. Even when you, you know, you, it still uh, does not impact much your judgment. And technology can come and, uh, and uh, be an assistance for you. So, you know, Yanis, Greek Freak, NBA, how we are uh, writing job requisition, uh, for me, it's, uh, it's amazing. I had the opportunity also to speak to uh, high school uh, students uh, that are a bit reluctant from taking data science courses and, you know, speaking sports, analogies, it's amazing. And uh, that's uh, something I'm doing for fun in my spare time. Love those examples. And the, the context of unconscious bias is such an interesting opportunity now across different parts of HR and talent processes. And partly it's because, to your example of the Moneyball moment, we can now generate data that gives us an opportunity to look at people's capabilities, interest, and potential in a way that we, until very recently, haven't had the opportunity to do, which gives us a lot more options in the coming years to start thinking in a much more proactive way or on those topics of capability-centric and potential setting recruiting, using AI-inferred information and context of what do we know about somebody's seniority and interest and, um, and what they might be indicating if they're an employee about what they want to learn or how they're validating certain skill sets through the work they're doing or the gigs and opportunities that they're taking part. So it is a very exciting time for what's possible with data. This conversation takes us nicely to our next segment, the future of talent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the future. As you think forwards to the opportunities available to organizations today, particularly with the uncertainties that, that lie ahead, what does success look like? I, I think that uh, we need to acknowledge that the uncertainty will be high. We read what's happening in the market. And, you know, it reminds me when, when pandemic started that uh, there were, everyone expected slowdown and hiring freeze. And, uh, and then in, in a few months, uh, everything changed and it was about accelerated growth and shortage and talent scarcity. So the dynamic will continue to, to be in the markets. Uh, first is uh, is planning, is decent planning. I think that the uh, HR can uh, give provide the business with amazing solution if it has a lead time. So building a good sensors in the business, HR gain is seated in the table during the pandemic, right? It, it in most organization it became strategic function. 
So you have a seat in the table, stay there, use it. So it starts with proper planning. Uh, then to, to look first at your internal talents and see how can you unlock the potential of your internal talents. Who has the potential? What uh, the upskilling that can be done? Uh, improve the agility, move people around per their potential and their uh, aspiration. So the ability to unlock the inner potential of companies, I believe, will be a key, uh, including, the, of course, the, the org agility that uh, comes with it. Um, protect your assets. I think that uh, understanding uh, and learning, uh, if you had the luxury not to know exactly what your talent knows, it's less relevant. You need to know who knows what, who are your uh, key assets, and, and protect them. Learn what they want to do. Talk to them. Be really a, a manager and a leader. Speak to them and, and help them uh, uh, unlock their potential because uh, first look at internally at your assets. And, and the last is uh, to develop agility. I believe uh, you cannot be a closed environment. You need to be open. Uh, we are talking about the uh, internal marketplace, but uh, you need to look at the world as one holistic marketplace, internal, external, and develop the flexibility and the ability to work in a multiple employment method. I think this will be a key for a successful uh, organization. Couldn't agree more. And the example uh, you gave of how HR have gotten a seat at the table during the pandemic and now have a need to use it and stay there goes back to some of the points you raised earlier on how to bring the right data to the table in order to help navigate cultural change, how to show people what's working. One thing that um, we've seen over the last two or three years is organizations have started to deploy different approaches to things like talent marketplaces, upskilling, reskilling, is different levels of success uh, that have often tied to whether organizations have prioritized the employee experience or whether they've prioritized the definitions of job architecture and what the sequencing of some of those activities in it, it, uh, came out to be. And I'd love to know what your learnings have been around this topic of upskilling, reskilling, definitions of skills, how to roll out talent marketplaces. Uh, if you were to navigate the experience you've gone through again, and we're giving advice to folks who are, who are starting to, to think about that now, uh, what worked really well in rolling out these upskilling, reskilling programs and talent marketplace methodologies? And what would you do differently if you were going through that experience again now um, and, and starting afresh? I think uh, may maybe I'm repeating, but I think planning is the key, right? You need to, uh, to have a North Star of, uh, of your talent strategy. What, talent, uh, what are the talents that you will need for the company for the, for the future? This should be a North Star. Yes, the, the world is dynamic. Every time is changing, but at least you know where you want to, to, to go. Um, you need to, uh, to make skill and treat skills like it's the new currency. And you need the culture of skill. You need to reward by skill. You need to appreciate by skill. Uh, you need to, to grow by skill. So looking at, at uh, the skill level is, uh, is critical. And to embed a framework of skill management is not simple. Uh, I think that uh, uh, before we are uh, dealing with all this uh, uh, complete market, uh, marketplace, 
you need a very strong uh, skill management uh, framework and in this world it's it cannot be a, a structured configured one right the, the market is so dynamic so if you want to build a skill management framework it must be AI driven and it must uh, be always automated and auto populated otherwise it, it fails so you have first you have a planning you know where you want to go then you know and uh, you have a good skill management framework you know what you have in your com- in company and then you are starting to draw the path how you go from point a uh, to point uh, b and uh, and and this is the the effort how to do it when to do it because are you doing it only after time comes or prior to t- uh, time is coming i think what marketplace is uh, is doing is not a, a it's not dictated by the uh, the company what marketed uh, marketplace is doing is letting the employees find out the employees who has the desire to upskill themselves to go to the next level to develop the career path and then it's a win-win when you are coming and telling someone you must learn something you must do something I don't think that you win much but if it's a win-win then you know everyone will do it on extra time effort so I believe that the linkage to understand what the business need, what the employee wants, have it on a robust skill management framework and link between uh, the motivations, this is the key for uh, success. Could not agree more. And the example you gave of how skills must not only be the core currency but cannot be a structured configured one is so crucial from what we've seen as the cases that succeed or don't succeed because many organizations have over the last three years in particular been trying to take a very structured configured approach to creating skills libraries and as you say it's very difficult to maintain those but also to have that skills data translate between what you've defined in your company and what candidates mean in the context of their own experience or what employees mean and this is such a powerful new opportunity that only recently has become possible with AI and technology because we can now build models that understand context, understand the context of what does somebody's work mean in the company they're in, in the industry they're in, what does that tell us about skill proficiency and seniority. We can now understand and learn from the data that's coming from the gigs that somebody does or even the learning systems they do. And this is very, very fresh new capability and technology that we've we've developed at Beamery and we're starting to see open up new windows at, as you say, automating um, this kind of work. As a final question on this, this topic of uh, job design and architecture, you talked about how you've approached writing job descriptions differently to be more inclusive and think about unconscious bias. You've talked about how the approach to thinking about jobs uh, within the organization is more forward-looking and capability-centric. What are some of the lessons learned in changing the culture of job design and how you've included different stakeholders across the business in framing what are we actually recruiting for? Yeah, I, I think, f- first of all, uh, we had also failures, right? So it's not that everything is a success. And um, when I discuss skill management, I want to relate, uh, I think, uh, to your point about the technology that now enables things that we could not have done in the past. We tried a few times to configure skill taxonomy 
Um, and, and different skill management method. One time we let the manager evaluate the employee skills. The other time the employees evaluate themselves. It requires, as you said, a lot of maintenance that uh, we could not hold. And also until you complete the configuration of skill, it's outdated. On top of it, um, I, I think that uh, uh, we are not relating to role job hierarchy, but uh, in the past those were very strict. You were uh, so that developer uh, this type, and you move to team lead and manager, etc. And uh, but it was very strict. Now, all also those movements between roles, between jobs, between careers, are fluid. And and I think that uh, what we see that all the strict systems that are based on hard configuration are not holding the real data of the organization, the real, the real aspiration of the, the organization. Um, so I would say that we learned it in the hard way. And, um, you know, I'll take myself in, uh, as an example. I'm not uh, many years in the HR domain. I came from software implementation, program management, pro, uh, uh, upscaling uh, companies. So if you would ask who should lead the global talent acquisition numbers, it was not me. But somehow I met the potential. I, I wo- it was in my interest to change. And, um, you know, a manager found, found me and, di- and did this uh, match. The CHRO said, let's do this match. But I believe algorithm can do it. I believe in the power of AI, of the machine learning to identify this potential, those patterns and, and make this match. And, and you know what? It's, it's amazing. I, I share your excitement for the potential and very recent potential of AI algorithms and also how that means that we as people leaders and talent leaders can also play a different role that actually focuses on the human components of those relationships and leverages those insights and data to make better strategic decisions. Where are our risks? How do we want to deal with those risks? Where are our opportunities? With all of this in mind, this touches back on your point around how this enables better planning and forward thinking. If you fast forward five years on the sort of trajectory that we we hopefully are heading on with all these new new capabilities, and you came back five years from now, what do you think are the biggest things that will have changed in the world of people and talent? I think I touched upon the the flexibility, the hybrid hybrid uh, workforce, hybrid work models. Um, you, you know, we, we haven't discussed uh, ONA, the organizational network analysis, right? But we see the post-COVID, something happened to companies. Uh, if one, it was one unified company in the past, now it's uh, basically neighborhoods. The network between people is a bit less tight than uh, before. So what eventually keeps a company a real company, what connect between uh, people. And uh, the fact that people are working now, you know, anywhere, we have people in our team that never met their uh, peers. They, are, they joined the company, they left the company without meeting anyone, haven't stepped in, in our offices anywhere in the world. We are spread all over, but they didn't get to our offices, didn't meet their friends. So what keeps those uh, together? I think that uh, we discussed marketplace. We discussed uh, a, a bit about a gig economy. People are coming in and out, uh, gathering around purpose, around project, 
Uh, I think that uh, the hierarchy will mi- might change to more being uh, uh, oriented toward a mission, a, a project less than hierarchies. I'm a true believer if uh, it was not uh, clear of uh, technology and the potential of technology. We see that the uh, companies are investing a lot in HR technology because they need basically to reinvent uh, the future of work. So I believe uh, uh, in technology as the one that really connects uh, the company, connect the people and bring them together to one entity that is called a company. Um, so I, I, one thing I hope is, you, you know, times are, are changing and, uh, and, and now maybe the markets are going down and everyone is a bit uh, depressed and uh, not uh, to think that the power is moving to the employer. Still think as the power is with the, with the employees, uh, with your talents. Employee centricity is a key. Uh, taking care of, keep, keep taking care of uh, well-being, welfare, making sure that uh, uh, people are fulfilling their potential. Uh, I believe that if we will fast forward, and we, we, we need to find those kinds of company that are open, that are inclusive, that knows to work on based on new, on this uh, uh, new technology that keeps their employees in the center and give them the opportunity to grow. So, you know, maybe it's a uh, science fiction, but I hope this will be the future of uh, five years from now. I share your hope. It sounds like a future where we put more of the human back in uh, human resources and put talent first, which I, I couldn't agree more. It's not only more important than ever, but as you've said, with the advent of what technology can now bring to us, it gives us time back to focus on those those human topics and how we think about learning from what our talent needs, our employees need, and putting them first. Asaf, thank you so much for this uh, fascinating conversation. Really enjoyed um, having you here today. Thanks again. The Talent Blueprint is brought to you by Beamery. Beamery's talent lifecycle management platform makes it possible for enterprises to drive more human talent experiences and unlock the skills and potential of their global workforce with industry-leading AI. Beamery optimizes every step of the talent lifecycle, from sourcing and identifying talent with the right skills and potential, to building and marketing your employment brand, creating an internal talent marketplace, and mobilizing your employees through getting the reporting and talent insights that you need to make better decisions about your workforce. Are you ready to unlock your talent? Learn more at Beamery.com.